Welcome to another inspirational message from Church on the Rock Pile. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, you can visit us at www.therockchurch.co.za. Hi, everyone. Well, I want you to know I'm really excited about our birthday next week. What a celebration we're going to have together. Don't miss online church and then coming together afterwards. And then the following week, it gets even better. We're going to be bringing our prayer request forms to God as we sow into our annual miracle offering. And so this year we're not calling it the heart for the house offering, but we're going to be trusting God with our accept. We're going to bring to God what we have. I have nothing except, as Jane shared with us. And so we're full of expectation. And we're doing this so others may live. And so I'm excited. I'm excited for what lies ahead. And if you're really ready for the word today, wherever you are, just say with me, my heart's open, my mind's ready, I won't be the same again in Jesus' name. I was recently explaining to a non-Christian friend of mine that our church would be having a sacrificial offering where we would sow into not only our lives, but the lives of others. And he looked horrified. And he said, sacrifice? Uh, what do you sacrifice? And I laughed as I realized that he had an Old Testament concept of us literally sacrificing something physically to God. I then told him that that was not the case and explained how we brought a free will offering to God once a year outside of our normal tithes and offering and outside of our normal giving and how our church had over the years been built on the sacrifice of many and not the gifts of a few. And it got me thinking. And I wondered how many Christians actually think about the word sacrifice and giving God a sacrificial offering. What does it mean? You know, how do we live it? And I want to try and answer that for you today. And I'll start by looking at one of the greatest men of the Bible. And this man was a man who was asked to sacrifice something very close to his heart. And the Bible says this in Genesis 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Somebody, wherever you're sitting in your online seat, wherever you are, say, God tested. God tested. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son. You know, this is a hard text to get your mind around. It's difficult, but we're going to work through it. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Notice it said that early the next morning, Abraham got up, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offerings, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. And this tells me something very specifically. And that is that Abraham never had in his mind that God would really ask him to sacrifice his son. He said, we're going to worship and then we're going to come back. Scholars believe Abraham either thought God would resurrect his son or that God would provide a different sacrifice path. Either way, Abraham knew that his son was coming back with him. Abraham took verse 6. 
took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, replied Abraham. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now this is the verse. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, spoiler alert, God provides a ram and God fulfills his promise. And this was only a test. God tested Abraham. How many of you know we, in our lives that we live in, we like freebies? I don't know about you, I, I like free refills. You go to a restaurant and, and you get a bottomless cup of coffee. Free refills, yay! When Burger King came to Paul and opened up, I remember going down there and the queue for the refill cool drinks was longer than the burger line itself. And so we also like free upgrades in our lives. I remember Jan and I, we once flew to Australia and as we walked onto the plane, they upgraded us to premium business class. I mean, it was fantastic and it has spoiled every flight for me since then. But we all like free upgrades. You know, when we go for a car rental and they say, oh, sorry, you've been upgraded. I'm like, yeah, we love upgrades. We love free streaming. I just got a year of free streaming to watch Apple TV. There's nothing to watch on it, but it's free. And so we like free things. But what we also know is this. Although some things are free, anything of great value costs you something. Did you get that? Anything of great value costs you something. And we know that intrinsically. So we admire people that are willing to pay a price for something. We admire athletes, right? We admire their sacrifice to get to where they are at at a particular time. And so we sit around a TV glued to a sports event. We understand the athlete's sacrifice and he sacrifices his body. And we pay to watch that. We love that. We understand that, that parenting is a sacrifice. Once you get your own children, then you realize and you begin to admire what your parents went through. Amen? And the sacrifices that they made. Because we know that nothing of value is free. Nothing. You never reach greatness in life. And I would say the same thing is true in your life. You never reach greatness or a place of greatness or a, a place of real blessing in your life free. It costs you something. There is a price to pay. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not talking about salvation. If you are with me, you can say, yes, amen, Mark, wherever you are. But salvation is a free gift of God. And so I'm not talking about that. There is no price to pay other than the price that Jesus has already paid. And he paid a huge price. He paid it on the cross so that the gift of salvation is completely free for you. But somebody prayed for it, and that was Jesus. Now, if you want to live in an abundance of life, there are some sacrifices to make. There, are, there, there is some price to pay. Do you agree with me? Because God will put you in a position 
where your faith has to be stretched. And in order for your faith to be stretched, there is a cost. There is a price. Your faith isn't going to just grow in a comfort zone. No, no, no. It's not going to grow as you're sitting where you are in the comfort of your padded lounge suite watching online TV. You've got to get off the sofa and you have to put into action the things that God is calling you to do. And I've learned this about God calling us to grow our faith or, or stretch our faith. And that is, he will call us to do something that feels beyond our capacity, feels beyond what we're comfortable with. That is how faith is growing. And faith is growing when you step out of comfort into a place that feels beyond your capacity. That feels like, oh God, I, I don't know if I can do this. Oh God, you know, I, I, I don't feel that, that, that this is good for me right now. God, this is getting so uncomfortable. God, this is calling me to, to take a risk. God, I don't want to, I'm not sure if I want to take this risk. I think there, there is more uh, out there, but I don't know if I can handle it. And God is calling me to step out of the boat at this time into water. And I don't know that when I put my foot down onto the water that there'll be something solid underneath it. But you know what? I'm trusting. I'm trusting that there will be. That's the essence of faith. Faith is the thing hoped for, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us. Not the thing that is seen. Not the thing that is tangible. Not the thing that you already know. Not the thing that you can just make out. Oh yes, I know what to do. I have a plan for that. Yes, I can just do step A, B, C. Yeah, I'll just get to the end. No, it's not. It's not this will happen and then that will happen and, and then I know this will happen. No. The essence of faith is I don't know what will happen, but I do know who is in my future. And so I take steps into it, trusting him. I don't know the outcome, but I know, and I know, and I do know who is walking with me. That's the essence of faith. God will call you into that because that is what causes you to stretch. So he calls to Abraham and Abraham goes, here I am. God, I'm here. God, I'm in a place where I'm ready to hear you. And I would propose today that at this time, that is what God is asking you as we are thinking about our miracle offering that is coming up. That when we give to God a gift, that we'll give God a gift that honors him. And when we do that, there should be an essence in the gift that is like, uh-oh, I'm stepping out, I'm stepping out onto water. This is going to be a step of faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And I want to please God. Truth, you know, I have never ever given to God when it hasn't felt uncomfortable. Because faith is what causes you to stretch. But here's what I've found, and it is this. We often want all the opportunities without any of the obedience. We want the blessings, but we don't want the burden that comes with the blessing. Now, don't switch off with me. We're going somewhere. But we want the breakthrough. God, give me the breakthrough in my life. But we don't want to pray through to the point where God gives us that breakthrough. And it's so easy in this 21st century to slip into a consumer Christianity. Let me say it like this. We want Jesus, but we don't want the cross. We want the blesser, but we don't want to 
pick up our cross daily and follow him. We want to bless me, do for me, but we don't want the sacrifice that comes with us. Are you still with me today? We live in a click generation. COVID has moved us to the place of becoming a click generation. That if we don't like the message, we just swap over to another one. If we don't like it and it doesn't make me feel good all over, well, we'll just go and look for somebody else's app somewhere. You will, we'll go to a different YouTube channel or we'll hop to a different church that will make us feel good. We don't want a level of commitment that challenges us. We want to click, but we don't want to cross. We want Jesus and the blessing, but we don't want the sacrifice that comes with walking with Jesus. So we want God to bless us, but we don't want to do the thing that brings the blessing. We don't want to live with kingdom principles, but we want kingdom blessing. And I, I'm not expecting everybody to get excited right now about this message, but I do want to help you. Jesus is calling us, and Jesus calls us, Jesus is calling you to a greater level. Step by step, he calls us to take our next step. There has to come a, a level in our maturity, in our faith, where it's not, God, what do you do for me? But God, what will you do with me? What are you going to do with me, God? There has to come a level of maturity in your faith where you say what the Apostle Paul said when he said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. In other words, it's not about my agenda anymore. God, it's not what I want anymore. God, I've died to me. I'm alive to you. I want you to use me, God. God, use me. Use me like you would use a tool. God, use me. And when you finish using me, then you can take me home to heaven. I've realized I'm not the star of the show. God, you're the star of the show. This story, my life, isn't about me. The story has been about you. It's been about you from the beginning. You are the story from the beginning to the end. It's all been Jesus. But Pastor M, I went online and they didn't sing the song at the beginning of the service that I like. Well, we weren't worshipping you. We were trying to bring a smile to his face, not your face. We were trying to get your eyes onto him and off of you. He's the one that wins the battles. It's his name that is higher than any other name and needs to be exalted. It's his name that is greater above all things. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Wonderful Counselor. He is the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He was God before you even got onto this planet. He doesn't need anybody to speak up for him or to call him king. He is king all by himself. He is Lord all by himself. He is worthy all by himself. He is great all by himself. And he is worthy of our lives. 
And it's so easy to slip into this consumer Christianity that says, this is about me. And God, I don't, I don't want to be called to any level of sacrifice in my life. And we get it so twisted. We think we sacrifice because we got up out of bed and we're now sitting on the sofa. And we're watching online church. It's cold outside, you know. Uh, uh, my bed was warm, but, but uh, now I'm sacrificing. I must be a real Christian. And some of us will do more for a Black Friday sale than we would for Jesus. I don't want us to get stuck in a place where we think that this whole thing is about us and not about him. Is he a good God? Yes. His mercies are new every morning. Yes, he is. But we are not the star of the show. He's the star. He's the king. And whatever he asks us to do, our answer should be, yes, sir. He's given his life for us, saved us from our sins, cleansed us, given us a home that is in heaven. He's redeemed us from the eternity of a pit. He set our feet on a solid rock. He's given us purpose on this earth, and he deserves our everything. I just don't want us to, to go into this miracle offering that is before us, thinking that we're doing God a big favor. We are simply returning to him what he is worthy of. And I've learned in my life, he calls me to sacrifice. So Abraham said, God, here I am. I'm positioned in Genesis 22.1. And I pray that you're a person who says, God, here I am. Whatever you need for me to do, I am yours. So what does sacrifice look like? I want to give you a few things about sacrifice, and I encourage you to write them down. And so, if you're ready, number one, sacrifice lives with urgency. Sacrifice lives with urgency. Did you catch that? It said in the text, early the next morning, Genesis 22, 3, early the next morning, there was an immediate response to the word of the Lord. An immediate response. Abraham didn't have to think about it. He didn't um and ah oh, and about it. No. He wasn't, oh, I don't know about it. You know, I don't feel it. No, no, no. It says early the next morning. Why? There was a sense of urgency. So number one, sacrifice lives with a sense of urgency. And there should be a sense of urgency in us. Anytime God gives us a word, when God speaks to us, there should be a sense of urgency. On our staff team, I would rather they make aggressive mistakes than passive mistakes. I'd rather have people zealous in the wrong things than passive and unresponsive. And I think God is like that. If we are zealous for God, in the wrong direction, he can take that and turn it in the right direction. I think that, uh, that the thing that annoys him are people that just sit on their blessed assurance and just don't move. They lukewarm. And so we should have a sense of urgency in us to do the thing that God has called us to do. And I can tell you there is an urgency in what we're doing. We don't do online church every single week just to have a nice little service. 
We're not doing this coming to your world, in your lounge, or wherever you might be right now at this time, so we can just be a blessing. And, and you can just say, oh, uh, I've checked off a religious box. No. There's an urgency about the mission of what we're doing. And that is, we are trusting that people that are far from God, who don't know the love of God, who don't know the forgiveness of sin, or the power of the cross, or, or the eternity of heaven, would come to know Him. We want to connect people to God, people, and purpose. I preached a while ago that the rock isn't a cruise ship. No. We are more like a battleship. We're a battleship. Where are we going to man our stations? Because there is a real enemy that is on the attack. An enemy that wants to take out the lives of people, especially young people and the next generation. And it's our job to stand in the gap and say, no, this mission is urgent. We've got to move forward. We've got to advance. It's what God has called us to do. I've got a limited amount of time. My days are numbered. In fact, the Bible says that in Job 14 verse 5, God says, God numbered my days. And I don't know the number of my days. But unlike most of you, I've already died twice. So I am very aware that my days are limited. And for me, with the number of days that I have left, I want to make the most of my life. So every day I live with that urgency and a spirit of sacrifice. So God spoke to Abraham, and the next day he moved. The next day. The next day he got up and he went. A sense of urgency. Not only that, but number two, sacrifice requires faith. Sacrifice requires faith. What did he say to the boy? He said this. God will provide the ram. The boy and I will go up and worship. Then we will come back. Genesis 22, 5 to 8. We will come back. There's faith on the inside of Abraham. Because what you must know is about the story is that God promised that through Abraham, he would create a nation. A nation. A, can you think of it? An entire nation. And he had only one son. And that son was Isaac. So Abraham knew the promise of God was going to be fulfilled in his life. So somehow, some way, they were going up the mountain and somehow, some way, they were both coming down because the promise of God was going to happen through Isaac. He was the promised son. Are you with me? Sacrifice requires faith. Requires faith that what God said, God will do. If God says it, then he will do it. If God says, when I give, he'll give back to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, then God will do it in my life. You've got to know that. If God has said that, then he will do it. He does not forget the birds of the air. And if he knows the numbers of the hairs on my head, would he not also take care of me? Luke 12, of course. If God has said that he's going to take care of me when I walk in obedience to him, will he not do that? Jeremiah 7. So if sacrifice requires faith, there should be the same sense of faith inside of us as we go into our miracle offering. And I want to encourage you to sit down as a family and pray together. 
as you talk about this offering, parents, can I take time out and just speak to you right now, talking to your parents. You should not give a gift to the miracle offering that you have not discussed with your kids. Not as in getting their permission. I'm not talking about that. But in showing them what faith looks like and showing them what it means to walk by faith, what it means to sacrifice, to fully obey God. It's a great teaching opportunity for you to grow into your kids' lives and understanding of what it is to walk with God. But there should be something on the inside of you that goes, this is going to require faith. It's going to require faith for this offering because sacrifice should require faith. I know today that's the spirit of the rock. And so in the Old Testament, when David was preparing for Solomon's temple and asking people for an offering, he had to eventually say to them, stop giving. We've got enough. I mean, what an amazing day. Imagine putting more than one well into Zambia. And that's my heart. That's what I'm trusting God for. And so there's a sense of expectation and participation that is growing right now. I'm excited. Such a spirit of, I can't wait. I can't wait to show my seed and, and hand in my prayer request with expectation. Because every year, with no exception, on our offering day, it has touched my heart because we always see a spike in our attendance. It goes up. I see people rushing across the car park to come in so that they can bring their offering to God. And I'm always so humbled by it. And so if the rock is your home, this message should encourage you. If you are visiting today, don't feel any obligation. But if the rock is your home, then be part of the house. It requires faith to live beyond yourself. And as Jan said last week, it requires faith to give God your I have nothing except. Number three, sacrifice knows the source. Sacrifice knows the source. Sacrifice knows this, that anything that I bring to God came from God anyway. And anything that I let go out of my hands that I think I need, God is well able to restock. God is well able to restock the shelf of my life because it was God that stocked it in the first place. Are you with me? I think some of us think that our offerings are like a God tax. We begrudgingly give tax to the government and we begrudgingly give to God because we think it's a tax on something that we've earned. But I want to flip that. And I want to say that God owns it. He gave it to you. He supplied it. This isn't a tax that God is trying to get from you because God already gave you everything, gave everything into your hands. And he just says, return back to me, so into the kingdom and advance the mission that I've given you on this earth. And through your resources, you can do that. It's not a tax that you are paying to God. And we, and we kind of do this to make God happy so that God will be happy with you, so that he doesn't mess with your life in the year that lies ahead. No. Now remember, if you're listening and this isn't your home, this isn't your church, go and give somewhere. Go and advance some vision somewhere that is reaching people and making a difference in this world. Give somewhere that exists so that others may live. So, not only does sacrifice live with urgency, not only does sacrifice require faith, not only does sacrifice know its source, 
But sacrifice at the end of the day is really a seed. Sacrifice is a seed. Here's what I mean by that. You never ever sacrifice anything in your life for the kingdom of God that God doesn't return to you pressed down, running over. Because whatever you sacrifice is really a seed that you're putting into the ground that will bear fruit at some point in your life. It's a seed. So when you sow into the miracle offering, you've got to understand it's above normal tithes and offering. It's a step of faith. And the Bible says it's a seed, a, 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 a seed. And in biblical days, it was an agricultural society. So when they talked about giving and they talked about generosity, they talked about it in the Bible as a form of a seed. Because people would understand, oh yes, if I put my seed in the ground, then it grows and it bears fruit. And it will bear a harvest that is greater than what I put in the ground. And this isn't a message about give God one rand and God will give you ten rand back. No, no, no. I'm not talking about, I'm not a prosperity preacher. But I'm not a poverty preacher either. I'm a blessing preacher. I believe in the blessings of God. Why? Because I've lived it and I've seen it. And some of you are praying for a harvest in so many different areas of your life. You're praying for a harvest of some sort in your marriage. You're praying for a harvest in your finances. You're praying for a harvest in your career. You're praying for a harvest in your relationships. And the problem, the reason you're not getting the harvest is not because of God, but because you keep eating your seed. You keep eating it. And you can't get a harvest off of something that you've never planted. So if you keep eating your seed, you keep destroying the harvest. You've got to understand that the harvest is not God's responsibility. The seed is. And the Bible tells us in Corinthians, in Corinthians, Paul said this. It is God who gives seed to the sower, to Corinthians 9 verse 10. So if you are a sower, God gives seed to the sower. Then he says this, look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap, reap what? Reap what? Generously. God is responsible for giving you the seed. You're responsible for what you sow. And your harvest will be in direct correlation to what you put in the ground. That's how it works. So great sacrifice equals great harvest. A little sacrifice, little harvest. No sacrifice, you got it, no harvest. It's a principle. It's not that God yeah, likes somebody more than he likes somebody else. God doesn't like somebody else better than he likes you. It's that he is a respecter of principles. No sacrifice, no harvest. So what do you want? Little sacrifice, little harvest. Great sacrifice, great harvest. It's not about the amount, but the sacrifice. In the Bible, the woman with only two pennies gave more than everybody else due to her sacrifice in Luke 21. Great, little, none. It's all about what you want and your seed.
There is a miracle in your seed that causes others to live. And because of your faithfulness, you've got to understand, you can make a difference in lives that will follow after you. I love this quote. I'm going to read it to you from Gaylord Nelson. It says this, The ultimate test of man's conscience may be his willingness to sacrifice something today for future generations whose words of thanks will not be heard. And that's what we're doing. We are sacrificing things for, for some people whose words of thanks we may never ever hear this side of eternity. But on the other side of eternity, they will be thankful. And so there's an incredible piece of history that happened during the winter of 1941 to 1942. When Hitler's armies were blockading Leningrad and thousands upon thousands in the city were literally starving to death daily. There was a small group of scientists who accepted the same fate. And they died as they guarded tons of rice, wheat, beans, corns and potatoes in a seed bank. Nine, nine botanists perish in the midst of plenty because they were preserving the seed for future generations. And the seed from those seed banks that, that has come from there went around the world and many of the crops today are a result of the crossbreeding of those seeds that the scientists saved from destruction. With that in mind, think about what we are doing. We could eat our seed and make ourselves happy or we can give our seed so that the future generations could be saved that future campuses will be launched, where marriages can be restored, where addictions will be broken, where salvations will happen. We can eat our seed and make ourselves happy, or we can give our seed so that clean water wells can be dug and churches can be planted, so that families and, and especially children can be rescued from the death of diseased water holes. We can eat our seed and make it all about us, or we can be determined to give our seed and make sure that the next generation of pastors and worship leaders and children's directors and youth pastors can be raised up and sent around the world so that leaders can be developed. We can eat our seed. We have a choice. Or we can determine, I'm going to sow my seed. I'm going to make the sacrifice. And watch God do the unexplainable in my life and in our lives and in the lives of others. It takes faith. I understand that because of COVID, we are in preservation mode. People have said to me, Mark, are you mad at offering online at this time? Madness. But the response from our church has been phenomenal. And I know for Jan and me, God is calling us to take a step of faith this year. And it doesn't make sense. Actually, I'm not completely sure how we're going to do it. But I know the harvest that I reaped last year has seen me through this year. And I don't want to miss out on the harvest of next year. So I know I have to get my seed into the ground because I want it to grow as fast as it can. Why? So that we can reap a harvest, not only in our lives but in the lives of so many others. Before I close, I would encourage you that the best things and the first thing that we should ever give to God 
is ourselves. And if you're in that place today, and you know that you're not right with God, and we've all been there, we all fall short of God's perfection. But Christ made a way when he died on the cross, when he rose again, and he offers you a new life. And if you say, Mark, I need God in my life, then I would love to encourage you to pray the simple prayer with me. You're not online by accident. We never met you by mistake. And I want to say, give to God your best, which is yourself. And if you say, Mark, that's me. I know in my spirit I need to make right with God. Then pray this simple prayer. It goes like this. Just follow me and repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I'm asking you to come into my heart. Today, I am making you my Lord and my Savior. Amen, amen, amen.